For we know that if our earthly house, and that earthly house that we're talking about is the body in which you live, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, that is in these bodies, bodies we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. And if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this, this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim. King James Version says, therefore we labor, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to end with the beginning of verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Amen. Please be seated. This passage really, really addresses the fact that uh, our bodies are not made to last forever, but that we are going to have new bodies which will last forever in heaven. Amen. Uh, I was well acquainted with the reality that my body was not made to last forever the other day when I went to play basketball. And uh, yeah, I'm still hurting. Been a couple of days, and I need some ice. I, I could use a ibuprofen right now if anybody has some. That'd be great. <laughs> my knees, my back, everything. You know, back in the day, I could run all day. I could jump out of the building, and I never felt a thing. But now, every little thing I do uh, creaks and hurts. And uh, like the like the scripture said, I'm groaning, <laughs> looking for my new body. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, we'll get back to the scripture, but you know, uh, there's a, a story I want to tell you uh, that I think is pertinent here. When I was a kid, I remember when Great America first opened. And, you know, it was in 1976, and I had heard about it and was excited for the opportunity because there was nowhere around here that you could go to get a decent roller coaster ride. If you, if you were around back then, you remember, if you really wanted a good roller coaster, you had to go all the way down to Disneyland. Santa Cruz was okay, but they only had one roller coaster, right? Uh, the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper or whatever you call it, right? But that was it. But if you really wanted roller coasters, you had to go all the way down to Los Angeles and get an E-ticket, and, and uh, that was your time. But finally, we're going to get our own amusement park. And so I was just so happy. So sometime around that summer of 76, I remember my mother came and told me and Ron, Rhonda, that we were going to Great America. Man, we were so happy. And I remember we were in the dining room, and we joined hands, and we're dancing around the dining room because we're going to Great America. And we're going to ride the rides, and we're going to eat the cotton candy, and we're just going to have like the best time ever. We just knew it was going to be wonderful. And so there you go. Now the thing is, we were careful 
uh, because we were so joyous, careful because we had great anticipation not to anger our mother between that time <laughs> and the protected date, right? Because you don't want to mess it up, right? Because if you, if you get on punishment, now all your hopes are dashed, and now you can't go, and all your joy is turned into tears, right? So, so we were, you know, we were trying not to do anything to mess it up. And, you know, as I think about it and realize that many times that's how we as Christians live our life in terms of heaven. We live not to mess it up. We, we live in a way that says, I don't want to make God angry such that he puts me on punishment. I don't want to do something that makes him angry and now I miss heaven. And so what I want to do is I live my life understanding that the boundaries are set between in God and outside of God. Now, I don't want to be way over here. That part is obvious, because then I just have no hope. But there's a line somewhere that if I can just get close to that line, but not go over, then God won't be angry, and I won't miss great America. So, so I live not in the center, but, you know, there's some fun outside that I don't want to miss out on. So I don't want to just be sitting, you know, in church 24-7, you know, singing uh, old boring hymns. So I have to, I have to find that, that place. And I need you to understand that when we do that, we're not really doing what the Scripture says is, where it says that we are to please God, that our aim, our labor is to please God. Right? That's a whole different way of thinking. To please God and to have that as your aim puts you in a whole different place. You are not looking for the edge over which not to cross, but instead, when you're trying to please God, what you're doing is you're staying in the center, as close to the center of God's will as possible. Why? Because you want to please him, not because you're trying to avoid making him angry. Yes, God is well pleased. Well, he may not like it too much, but he won't kick me out. Y'all see the difference? Right? It's, it's a whole different mentality in terms of how we think, how we think about heaven, how we think about eternity, how we think about our lives. And so we find often Christians in this dilemma, the dilemma of how we work out this salvation. Now, Philippians tells us to work out this salvation, that is our relationship with Jesus, in fear and in trembling. That is, we don't take it lightly because the consequences of getting it wrong are so dire. So we must, we must work it out whether we choose to do a behavior or refrain with fear and trembling and not just happy-go-lucky as if it doesn't really matter. We can't look around at what others are doing and find that as our, our motto. We got to stay with the scriptures because we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to do something that's going to put us outside the circle. While we're struggling with the dilemma of how much of the world to allow into our new life with Jesus, we understand that the world is having troubles. You know, I know that over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Herman's been talking about some of the troubles and the struggles in this world. The shootings, uh, racially motivated, revenge uh, motivated. There have been, uh, uh, I mean, my God, the, 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 the shootings at schools. Who ever heard of such a thing? 
before this, this recent generation. We have an overriding fear of terrorism and terrorist acts. It's only God's grace that more have not occurred on our shores than already have. But, you know, when you turn on the news, you hear about Nice, you hear about Paris, you hear about all over the world where people are killing themselves and killing other people unexpectedly. You can't anticipate it. Wherever you are, it's liable to happen. And, you know, we as even Americans, we live with this kind of fear of it could happen. It could happen to me. It could happen to my loved one. Because we understand that it's just not a safe place to be right now. And you understand that people without Christ, without the love of God, without the Spirit of God on the inside, have a different reaction than those of us who have an expectation of heaven. Because we know in Jesus, no matter what happens, all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. We understand that God has us and is protecting us, and whatever happens, he must have allowed it. But people without the Lord in their heart, living for him in his will, they don't have that. And what they have is fear, chaos, anxiety, and hopelessness. Because who can stop it? The police can't stop it. The government can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. Right? It's only God that's holding it back up to this point. And so there is that, that feeling of hopelessness that just permeates our society. You know, we don't often talk about it, but, but you can feel it as you walk through the streets and talk to people as they, as they contemplate, for example, who to vote for president. You know, it's, whether you're talking to a Republican or a Democrat, nobody's really happy. Right? I mean, we're kind of just voting against the other person, but not really trying to vote for the person. Because there are troubles, there are struggles, there's, there's a, a negative anticipation whichever way you're leaning. You know, and so, so I'm certainly not one to say God is a Republican or a Democrat or he's for whoever. That, that's certainly not my point. My point is that there's just a general dissatisfaction with the whole, with the whole election situation. And what are we going to do? Because even if you want to go independent, you're going to lose, <laughs> right? It's going to be one of these two unless, you know, something totally unforeseen happens. And so there you go. Just a sense of how is this going to change? How is this going to be fixed? Who's going to help? Is there any help? And so without Jesus, there is no help. So, so look at this now. Here we are. We have heaven. We have a promise that everything's going to work out. We have God promising to walk with us and talk with us and be with us. While we're working out whether we want to live to please God or live at the outskirts so that we don't miss heaven, the world is in trouble. And yet we have been called to be his ambassadors. Do we understand that we are the hope of the whole world? Do we understand that we are the only hope that the world has? Now, I know this is strange and shocking and even countercultural, but, it, but it's true. That is, the answer is in Jesus. The answer is only in Jesus and can be found nowhere else. It won't be found in science. 
It won't be found in education. It won't be found in technology. It won't be found in all of our our wealth. It won't be found in all of our, our good deeds. It is only found in Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Anybody that wants to be saved, they got to come through Jesus. That's what Jesus himself said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. Jesus said it. See, we understand, we understand that, but I need you to apply it to your personal life, that you hold the key to the restoration and the awakening spiritually of our nation and probably of the whole wide world. While they struggle as they do with hopelessness, you are the one God has appointed, yea, filled with his spirit to do a job. And he has empowered you to do what nobody else can do. Share hope. God sits high. He has all power in his hand. He seeks to establish his kingdom, but he wants to use you to do it. He is seeking to use you to do what nobody else can do. Muhammad can't do it. Buddha can't do it. Uh, Meditation can't do it. Only Jesus. The Bible says in uh, Galatians, Five, that if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if we are filled with God's spirit on the inside, then we can abstain from things that without the spirit of God, we could abstain from. See, because what happens is we either give hope or withhold hope. Because we are the only hope. How we live determines other people's level of hope. So, so for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, when you find your world in trouble, whether it be disease and pestilence, famine or drought, wars, when my people if my people who name my name like Christians humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. See, we don't like to think of ourselves as having wicked ways because look, it's Sunday and I'm in church. How wicked can I be? Right? We don't, we don't want to really want to think of ourselves in that light. But do you know that we are, we are the, 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 the thermostat that lowers or raises the world? Where we go, there goes the world. As we allow, the world allows more. As we refrain, the world refrains more. And if you follow history, what you will find is the the greater the church's sleep, the greater the world's sin. But when when, when the people of God stand up and live like people of God, live according to the biblical standards, what you find is the whole world 
begins to come into line. And I'm not suggesting that, that they're going to live holy without Jesus. But the boundaries become a little bit more refined. You understand what I'm saying? So if we are the catalyst to change, then the question is, how do we do it? Well, I'm not suggesting that we all get bullhorns and go on a street corner and start yelling. Because if we can be honest, often our preaching is drowned out by our living. Our words become meaningless in the face of our behavior. Very often. There is no greater witness for Christ than you living a Christian life. There is no greater, and I'm not, I'm not saying don't say it, but while you say it, you got to live it. And living it doesn't just happen when everything is going your way. Living it is especially true when nothing is going your way. The question is, how do you respond in tough times? How do you respond to the dilemmas that, the, that everybody in the world is facing? What do you do when somebody spits in your face or punches you in the gut? or stabs you in the back? What do you do when someone cusses you out? What do you do when someone abuses you? How do you respond in the tough times? I know when, when it's easy, it's easy, right? When, when the bank account is doing well and all your children are acting right and your, your, your spouse is, is, is loving on you, right? Everything, they love you at the job. When everything is going well, it's easy. Oh, Jesus, praise the Lord. Oh, I just give God all the glory. But you know, that's only temporary. There's coming a time of trouble for everybody, right? Everybody, you know, you might get up one day and all the lights are green, but the next day you can't find a green light and you're, that's the day you're late. And it just seems like everybody in the world is conspired to fill the streets <laughs> to block you from getting to where you got to go, right? And, and many times, you know, instead of maintaining that, that, that Christian hope, we revert back to our old ways, right? Now, 2 Corinthians 5, later on, it says we become new creatures altogether. The old has passed away. Everything is new. But guess what? Many times you can't find the new except on Sunday morning. And people see that. And people observe us in our time of trouble. They're seeing how we respond. Not what we say, but how we live when trouble is at home. When you get the news from the doctor that there's only a limited time left, People are watching how you respond and whether it is different than how they respond. If you decide when you get bad news that you go to the same bar they go to and take the same drinks that they would take, then what you're saying is, I have as much hope as you have. I have no hope. Isn't it something? I, I, it's something how... We are at the edge in our country of, of legalizing universally marijuana. 
not for medicinal use, just for use. Just, just because it's Tuesday. <laughs> now, right now, <laughs> theoretically speaking, you have to have a, a card, a prescription. Ha, ha, ha. A prescription. But it's really amazing to me, you can, well, I don't know how it is down here. Probably down here is probably a lot better. But up in the city, you just kind of drive and mind your own business, and it doesn't really matter what area you're in, if the windows are rolled down, you are at risk of getting contact high. <laughs> now, I know most of you guys don't know what contact high is, and if you don't know, don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's becoming ubiquitous. It's everywhere where people are lighting up. Uh, uh, whether or not they have a card or not is not my issue, but you know, I'm not trying to get high while you get high. But here's the, here's the thing. What we're doing as a society more and more is we are trying to alter our state of consciousness. The bars are filled. Even people that, that make a good wage and have what we would call decent lives, you know, they are looking for opportunity to get out of their mind. They're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to forget. They're trying to, they're trying to block out. They're trying to, they're trying to get to a place where they don't have to think about what's really going on. I don't, again, I, I'm, I'm not down here on Friday nights, but if you go in the city, my God, the bars are just full. There are people flowing outside, overflowing. And so the question is, are we a part of that scene? Because we can't handle the pressures of life. And instead of clinging to Jesus and to the Lord and, and in prayer and, and studying the word, we're doing like we would have done before we ever met Christ. Just, you know, take a hit. Take a drink. When, when there's trouble in a marriage, how do we respond? When, and listen, unless you've been married for five minutes, you're going to have trouble in the marriage. <laughs> amen. <laughs> well, that was a big amen right there. <laughs> right? But, but we all, those of us that are married, we, we know it's true that, you know, no matter what happens on that first day, you know, the wedding is so beautiful, flowers, you know, everybody's dressed up. Oh, so wonderful. Mom is crying. Oh, it's wonderful. I love you forever. I love you forever. I love you more. I love you more. I love you more. Just wait. And you open your eyes and you say, I can't believe I did this. Why didn't somebody stop me? What have I done? What have I done? Oh, my God. What have I done? Right? And really, and you, can, you can be at a place of desperation and you have a choice to make. When it seems like you're the only one giving and the other person's giving nothing. You're giving 110% and it's like they're, they're, they're giving nothing. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what you said. You're not living out your, your vows to me. I'm not happy in this relationship. I don't even like you anymore. God wants me to be happy. So... He must not want me to be with you. 
And you know, we get divorced. We get divorced in the church as, as easily as people outside. And we're here, back here Sunday morning, but now I have to go to a different church than the other person went to because, you know, that's kind of freaky. Right? But, but instead of keeping to the biblical uh, uh, edict, that is, Jesus said, only for adultery. We adapt and adopt what the world says and say, hey, you're not making me happy. I don't love you anymore. You don't love me anymore. It's better if we're apart. People see that. They see us in trouble and they watch us do just what they would do. And they say to themselves, I guess there's no hope. Except we are the only hope they have. There is no other hope. Jesus is the only hope. And so if we don't show hope by our behavior, by our lifestyle, by the decisions that we make, then we are leaving the world without hope. God has called you to be a champion of hope. Not by your words only, but by how you live in difficult and desperate times. I know it's challenging. I know it's difficult, but this is not for babies. We can't afford to look at heaven like we looked at great America with high hopes, high expectation, know it's going to be fun, and just trying to avoid making God angry. We have to mature, grow up. You know, when you first get saved, it's okay not to know a whole lot about being saved. When, when you first receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, it's okay not to understand how the scriptures work together and how we are to apply them. But there, there needs to come a progress. There needs to come some growth. There needs, to, there needs to be a point where you begin to recognize, hey, my life is different than it used to be. I don't, just, I don't do or react the same way as I used to. I am living out the new creature that God has made me to be. If your life, if you, listen, if you've been saved for a while now, for a few years, and your life is pretty much the same as it was before you met Jesus, then maybe you hadn't met Jesus yet. Because Jesus makes a difference in your life. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, it will change something on the inside of you. Not because you willed it so, but because the power of God is resident on the inside and he is working out of you all the things that had you broken before you met him. Right? The scriptures say in Philippians that it is him, it is God that puts in you to want to and to perform his will. He does the work. He completes the work. It is him who keeps you from falling and from sinning and from that habit and from all those behaviors. If he is in you, then it is for you. And so I challenge you. I challenge you. Because you are a part of a large congregation, it's easy to hide. Right? At River of Life, it's not easy to hide. If you don't show up, up. Uh, Where's this so-and-so, right? Because she always sits right there, and now she's not there. But, you know, you can come here, oh, I, you know, maybe they went to the other service. Maybe they, you know. So it's easy to hide. Let's just say easier to hide. 
And so you can kind of come and, 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 and not really hold and not really live that life and not really grow and not really progress and, 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 and all that. Right? You can come and never join a small group or life group, as they call it here, right? And, and, and people say, you know, it'd be really, really great to see you. And you say, oh, maybe later, maybe later, and just stay in this place of, I just don't want to do enough to make God angry, and he keeps me out. But I certainly don't want to go all overboard and be one of those Jesus fanatics, right, who actually goes to a life group. Oh, my God, a whole life group. Right? Go to church on more than just Sunday. Oh, no. Oh, no. I challenge you. I challenge you to take up that 2 Corinthians 7 charge and humble yourself and to pray and to see God's face and you, where you are in sin to turn from it, to reject this idea that you can just do anything and make it to heaven. I remember when I was in the Air Force, I was on the honor guard for a while. And in the honor guard, if you don't know, that's, that's the where, you know, where there's a funeral and, you know, they give you the 21-gun salute and they, you know, give you the flag and all that stuff. So, you know, I was there and I went to, oh my God, so many funerals, right? That was like our job, you know, while I was in it. So we would go to these funerals and I remember one particular one, it was up in, uh, uh, in Vallejo, I think it was, and... <laughs> So we, we did our thing. We didn't really know the people. Most of the time, we don't know the people. Matter of fact, all the time, we didn't know the people because they were in the military long before, and that, you know, now they passed. So um, we would go and, you know, do the thing and the salute and the taps and all that kind of stuff, and then we march out and all that. So now we're outside, about to get back on the van and head back to the base. Well, this time, a guy runs out of the funeral and with a case of, of uh, whiskey, Right? And so now, now the preacher that was talking about the guy was talking about how wonderful he was, how he was, you know, man of God and did all this wonderful stuff during his lifetime, blah, 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 blah. So the guy came out saying, look, I don't know who he was talking about, <laughs> but, but, you know, this guy liked whiskey, so we're going to give you a case of whiskey. And, and he started, you know, kind of talking about how the guy really was. And it was nothing like the preacher was saying. Right? I just want you to, I don't know, you've probably been in a situation like that where you get to a funeral and somebody is talking about the guy, but it's not reflective of how they actually live their life. And so I want you to understand that no preacher can get you in. Right? No preacher can get you in. There's no, like, I got the hookup. It's like, don't worry about it. You live however you want to. I got the hookup. I'm going to get you in. You know, just meet me at the back door of heaven, and I'm going to leave it open for you. Right? No preacher has the hookup. Right? It doesn't matter what it's saying at the funeral. The question is, was it your aim to please him? Right? That, that's, that's really what matters. Were you really trying to please him, or were you just trying not to, not to you know, get way out there and make him mad? I challenge you. To live a life that gives hope, because you are the champion of hope. You're the only one with a future that when the world has faded away and the whole thing is burned up, that you're going to be standing there with your God, giving him praise, ruling whatever kingdom he has for you according to the gifts that he gave you that you multiplied 
during your time on earth. Why? Because it said we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us have to give account for what we did in our bodies, even these broken down ones, whether good or bad, we got to answer for it. And so when we acted good in the bad times, we can look at the Lord and say, Lord, I gave it all to you. I gave it all to you. I gave hope when, 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 when I was struggling with the whole issue. When I didn't know if you're going to come through with me, for me, I still gave hope to the world. I didn't let it down. I didn't let it down because I was hurting. I didn't let it down because I was confused. I didn't let it down. But God, the whole day, because listen, one of these days, we'll all stand before him and we don't want to give excuses on that day. But she said, but if he hadn't, if only, I challenge you to live a Christian life, whether things are going well or not, to live like Jesus, whether you like what's going on or not. That's how we champion hope. And so if somebody uses you, abuses you, curses you, what the Bible say? Pray for them. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. If you want to bring a divorce, get on your knees and ask God to come back into this relationship. And if he wasn't there, Lord, we need your help. Help me to love her, to see her as beautiful again. Help me to respect him and to admire him. And do you know that God will do that? And that people that see you and know you will marvel and say, only God could have brought that thing back? It's an amazing thing. If you find yourself in financial trouble and you hold and tithe anyway, people are going to know about it. If you are in a situation where you're just confused because God hasn't shown up yet and you hold on anyway, people will notice and know that there is hope. On your connect card, on the back, there's a next steps portion. There are three lines there. And I want to encourage you to take three steps. The first step is to be honest with yourself and to identify a couple of behaviors that you know are part of your, your life that have not really been according to God's will, not really pleasing God. And then on the second line, if you would write down a couple of names, perhaps, of people that saw you in those behaviors, and now you know you didn't help them with hope, but instead you kept hope from them because they saw your reaction and it was just kind of carnal. And then on the last line, that is to, you would make a commitment to find solutions in your Connect Four setting, whether it's with your family or one-on-one -on -one or in the, in the group or whatever, that you find solutions to those things. Talk it out. Get some help. But don't stay in a place where you are not a maturing believer in Jesus. It's okay to be born as a baby, but it's not okay to stay a baby your whole life. Amen? Amen. God bless you.